Uh, if you got your Bibles, go ahead and get your uh, get them out. Open up the application if that's what you're using, and uh, go to Ephesians chapter one, verse fifteen. We've been on this uh, very slow, leisurely jaunt through the book of Ephesians now uh, for about f- about a month, a little over a month actually, and. Uh, Excited as we're going through this, just going verse by verse, looking at the Bible, looking at Scripture, seeing what uh, what God shows us. We're calling this series the Book of Mysteries uh, because inside Ephesians, uh, Paul really unpacks a lot of the, uh, the the things that we can miss on just a surface level understanding of the gospel and what Christ did. So uh, we've been kind of looking at this. We saw before we've we've mentioned this that um. The first chunk of Ephesians, the first verses uh, 3 through 14, is one, one sentence in the original language. In, in Greek, it was one sentence. And then verse 15 through 23 is another sentence that Paul here is extremely excited. He's just rambling, really. He gets so excited, so so filled with joy and, and anticipation about sharing these things that he kind of forgets to write like an educated person and just uses lots of commas and semicolons. Remember how you, you ever do that? You get so excited. Do you ever have a friend? I have a friend who literally, she doesn't breathe, I don't think, when she talks. I think she's able to somehow intake air through her ears because there's no punctuation in the way that she talks. That's what Paul's doing here. He's so excited. He's so, he's so enthusiastic about this that he just kind of runs on throughout this. So we're, we're reading out of the ESV for this study. Verse 15, chapter 1. Book of Ephesians, it's on uh, page 976 in my Bible, if that helps anybody. It says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He's going to tell us what he prays for us. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you and what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all all in all. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you that it's a living and an active word, that it's not a dead and a passive word, but that this morning we can come to you, God, fully and completely expecting you to speak to us. God, we come boldly into your presence this morning because we're desperate to hear from you. God, I don't want to just hear the ramblings of a preacher. God, I don't want to just hear the opinions of man. I don't want to just hear a, a nice story that, that, that tickles my ears and pleases my, my, my hardened heart. But God, I come to you this morning desperate to hear you speak, desperate for you to reach into me, remove the heart of stone that's there, and place within me a heart of flesh. God, come and deliver your word to us as only you can. 
God, we're desperate for you. God, we hunger after you. God, would you speak, but Lord, will you go beyond that and don't just let us hear your word, but let us be doers of your word this day. Let us be transformed by what we hear on the deepest level possible that we might be different when we leave this place than when we came in. Let us be transformed by your word, by your power, so that you might receive the glory, so that you might receive all the worship, that you might be made much. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Come on, everybody said? Amen. Amen. So we've been kind of working our way through this passage of Scripture. It's been important to me that that we don't just uh, grab a verse here and grab a verse there and kind of pull that out of its context, but that we kind of look at this the way that it was written as one statement. So we've kind of been going through it. We saw in the first week of this particular passage, uh, the mystery of spiritual transformation. And what we saw was that spiritual transformation really is the process by which God matures us spiritually. But what we saw was this, that spiritual maturity is a supernatural. Now, don't let that word freak you out. It just means more than natural. It means that it's a God-given thing. Paul here says that he prays that God would give us these things, that we need to understand that spiritual maturity is different than just normal, average, everyday maturity. I know people who are much older and yet still immature. Am I the only one? And I know young people that possess great spiritual maturity because it's, it's, a, it's a supernatural, a beyond natural thing. Well, this, this supernatural thing, this God-given thing is the spiritual gift that God gives us, the ability to perceive, please catch this, perceive and process the things going on around us in our life. Spiritual maturity is not avoiding problems and issues but rather the ability to see from God's eternal perspective through the midst of them and process things from that angle, from that viewpoint. So we see then that, that this, this process happens and ultimately it leads, uh, Paul here tells us, to enlightenment, which is not a New Age word, it's a Bible word. Okay, the New Age of taking it, it means something totally different. The Bible here, we saw that it means literally to be a bearer of light that we carry and cast light everywhere that we go. As we grow spiritually in him, we carry and cast his light more fully. That we, that we grow in him and he fills us as, as one would, would like turn on a, a, a light. When we turn these lights on, they're filled with light. They are enlightened. Amen? We saw that God does this with us as we grow in, in wisdom and revelation. We see this. The next week... We, we kind of took a deeper look as Paul continued. He said, I, I hope that as you're becoming filled with light, you're seeing these things, that you're knowing him in these ways. And we're not, I'm not going to go through all of them again, but, but the big thrust that we saw historically when Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, the Ephesian church was not having everything go easy, everything go nice, everything go smooth. But rather they were going through great tribulation and hardship. And Paul here doesn't pray like we would maybe want him to pray if we were in this situation. If, if you got a letter from somebody and you knew they knew you were going through hard times and they said you were, pr- they were praying for you, they told you they were praying for you, you would hope that they would say, I'm praying that, that you're victorious, right? That your business thrives, that your life is great, that you're healthy, wealthy, and wise, you never have any problems, and you can die peacefully in your sleep and go to heaven. But that's not what Paul prays for here. He says, I I pray that you would be able to see correctly as you go through this suffering. And why does he do this? Because suffering is one of the primary tools that God uses in forming us and transforming us. 
That never gets very many amens. We, we, we want to believe, well, no, the, you know, Jesus suffered so I don't have to suffer. That is a gross misapplication of the work of the cross. Jesus didn't suffer so you don't have to suffer. He suffered so that you now suffer as a son, not as a sinner. That you suffer differently now. He, he, he suffered so that you suffer as a son. And if you suffer as a son, we suffer like the son. Hebrews 12 says, 12.1 tells us that, that Jesus endured the cross. Come on, somebody. But well, how did he do it? It says he despised the shame and kept his eyes on the joy. That means that we have joy in the midst of suffering. That even though suffering is certainly not caused by God, please hear me on that. It is most certainly used by God. And that's why we can find joy in it. That's how we can find it. We suffer like Jesus. We, we despise the shame. I'm not, I'm not saying that we should re- rejoice in suffering because we enjoy it. But rather there is joy in it. So this week we're going to continue. We saw this, the mystery of spiritual transformation continued. This week we're going to see the mystery of spiritual transformation's conclusion. What I mean by this is, okay, we, we kind of get that, that we're, we're, we're being f- given the ability to perceive and process information that as suffering happens in our life, this is kind of one of the main delivery methods that God is using. But if you're like me, you're kind of wondering at this point, like, okay, but what's the point, right? What's the ultimate goal? Does anybody else remember when you were a kid and your parents would say, we're going on a road trip and you had no clue where you were going? And, and usually about the last hour, your head just felt like it was going to explode. I don't know how I knew when I was a kid that it was the last hour, but somehow internally, my body just told me it's the last hour and it's going to take twice as long in my perception as the rest of the trip. You see this kind of thing happening now with Paul as he's getting excited. We're kind of going, okay, Paul, what's... What's the point here, man? Like, I get it. I'm suffering. I need to, I need to be filled with joy. What's the point? And he says, okay, there's a, there's a conclusion to this. And we saw it here at the end of this passage in verse 23, that the conclusion is that Christ would be formed in you, that he would fill all in all, it says. But Paul here shows us, and I want to kind of follow him on this. He shows us this in three distinct areas. The first is, he shows it to us personally, that Christ would be formed in you personally. That you, as an individual, that he would fill you. This is a slightly different perspective than it, was, uh, than it is in other portions of Scripture. Other portions, it'll say it like this, that you might be made into the image of Christ. But here it's kind of flipping that. It's saying, no, here he's showing us a, a different angle on this, and that is that Christ is going to be formed in you. The difference here is this, that that this is not about, we talked about this a few weeks ago, this is not about begrudging submission, come on, this is not about behavior modification, this is about transforming you on the deepest, most intimate, most personal level, that he would be formed in you. That's the great, great news of the gospel is not just that you're saved, come on, not just that Christ holds you for salvation, but that he holds you for transformation, That like Isaiah says in Isaiah 64 verse 8, that he's the potter, come on somebody, and we're the clay. That his hands are on you, not just to secure you for future salvation. Come on, not just so that when you die, you go to heaven, but so that you can be transformed ever more like him now. That's good news. And that he's faithful, come on somebody, even when we're not. How many days have I spent on my face before the Lord going, God, I don't know how you're going to do anything with this. Because I'm wicked and sinful and, and prideful and egotistical and I don't get why or how you're going to do anything with this. And he goes, yeah, it's all right. I'm faithful even when you're not. 
I'm still faithful to work it out. I'm still faithful to work in you. I'm still faithful to keep working on you. Even when you're not faithful, I'm still faithful. Even when you don't see how you're going to be changed, I see how you're going to be changed. Even even when you don't want me to see how you're going to be changed, I see how you're going to be changed. And he's faithful. He's faithful. Come on, somebody. He's faithful to keep working on us. The next thing Paul does here is he, he takes us from, from this. It's kind of funny when you, when you follow along with him. He gets so excited about all this. He says, I, I pray this for you, that you'd be able to do this, that God's power would work in you. And then he, he, he kind of pushes us here beyond this. Go, go back to verse, um, verse 21. Verse 21 here, he says that, that he seated him in heavenly places at the right hand of God, verse 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, check this, but also in the one to come. Paul here gets so excited. He says, I, I showed you this personally, but now, now I'm, I, as I'm talking to you about this, I'm realizing that, you know what? He's not just being formed in you. He's not just, he's just, this, doesn't, this doesn't just apply to you. This applies to everything globally that, that the power of God as it was on its trajectory toward you raised Christ from the grave, but it was so powerful, so magnificent that it propelled him, come on somebody, to heavenly places above everything else. That it literally seated Christ, catch this, universally, eternally supreme. That's kind of amazing. Because you got to catch that. I, I use those words on purpose. That, that literally, universally, that means everywhere, everything, everyone. All right? Everywhere, everything, everything you see, everything you don't see, whether the, the tree that fell in the woods made a sound or not, he's supreme over it. All right? He's supreme over, or he, he's everywhere, universally. There's not an area that doesn't apply to him. I got in a conversation a while back with somebody um, just to, to be, to share some of my joys of being a pastor and the, the great things that happen to you. Um, we had a particular substance become legal here in our state a few uh, months ago. And you would not believe how many messages I got. Facebook messages, emails, text messages asking me like, hey, now that it's legal, you know, is it cool? You know, if, you know. And I, and honestly, I'm going to be honest with you, I, I didn't want to just have a, I, I kind of have what I would kind of say from my own personal perspective. And I kind of want, you know, I don't get that luxury, honestly. I don't have that luxury as a pastor just going to say, well, this is my opinion. So I want, you know, give me some time. I'm going to take some time to study. Because before I just got to be able to, I got the easy out. I used to go, it's illegal. You can't do it. Yeah, but God made it. Well, the scripture is pretty clear. Obey the law of the land. You don't get to do it. So, and then it was like they made it legal. I'm like, okay, great. Um, hold on. Let me study a little bit and I'll get back to you. And here's honestly what I, what I came to the conclusion of is that nowhere in scripture does it tell us that thou shalt not smoketh weed, but it also doesn't tell you you can't eat your lawnmower. Okay. So, um, it, it's not sinful, but it's also not wise or beneficial. And I said, that's my perspective. And one person kept writing you back. Yeah, but I just mean like, is it okay? So I reiterated what I said, reworded it and said, you know, scripturally, I don't care about scripturally. I just want to know, is it okay? And I'm like, well, you're missing the point here. Jesus doesn't just apply to a few things on the side. Like, well, that's just kind of Sunday morning and then the rest of it doesn't matter. This is, he is universally supreme. Do we get this? So then he's universally, but then he's eternally. Because it says not just in this age, but in the one to come. Not just in this reality, but in every reality. So past, present, future, but catch this please, and eternally. 
beyond time. Now, I love, anybody else love Amazing Grace? Like the, the old hymn, Amazing Grace? It's a, it's a great song. Now, the, the issue I have theologically is the fourth stanza. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining is the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. All of you can go there and be like, well, I don't know. It's just, there's, there's more than one verse. <laughs> Most of y'all are like, stanza? <laughs> yeah, there's no hymnals in the front of your pew. There's another verse. That's how it goes. There's actually about eight total. But uh, the four stanzas, it talks about this. And it's talking about eternity. I had one pastor once tell me that eternity is like a mountain, and there's a bird, and every day he pecks the top of the mountain, and as long as it would take the bird to make the mountain go away, that's eternity. That's really kind of weird. It's also completely not accurate. Eternity is not lots and lots of time. Eternity is beyond time, the absence of time. Time has ceased to exist, and somehow things are still moving. Now, I know that's kind of way too big for our minds to get, but that's eternity. And what he's saying here is this. Jesus is supreme, not just in the past, not just in the present, not just in the future, but when all of this is done away with, he's still supreme. Supreme meaning more, beyond, better, faster, bigger, stronger, more, greatest. There is nothing past him. Come on, somebody. There's never been anything beyond him. He has been made supreme over everything. Every time, everywhere. I want you to hear this. This is amazing to me. This is by the the, the great preacher and theologian, John Piper. He said this, speaking of the supremacy of God. He said, let us know the supremacy of his knowledge. This is just one aspect of his supremacy, his knowledge. Catch this. I love the way he words this. Let us know the supremacy of his knowledge that makes the library of Congress look like a matchbox. Make all the, that makes all the information on the internet look like a 1940s farmer's almanac. That makes all of quantum physics and everything that Stephen Hawking's ever dreamed look like a first grade reader. We must know the supremacy of the knowledge of our Lord. We must know the supremacy of his wisdom that has never been perplexed by any problem whatsoever, nor can he be counseled by any person or any being in the universe. That's the supremacy that we're talking about when we talk about Jesus. That gets me excited. I don't know about you, but that gets me kind of pumped. And, and here's, here's what I'm trying to, why I'm driving this home so hard. Because if we don't see Jesus as supreme, then every time defeat, struggle, failure comes in our life, it's somehow an evidence of God not doing enough and being defeated. That on a global scale, like Paul's talking about here, when, when suffering happens in the world, we see somehow that Jesus just wasn't able to beat the devil that time. It's some weakness that we somehow perceive in God. But when we see him as supreme, we realize that none of that is true. Where is God in the midst of global suffering? Please hear me. He is seated on his throne in heaven. He is watching. He is storing up righteous wrath and judgment. And no injustice will go unpunished in the end. And we can take solace in that. But I, I don't want to just leave this global. I know we're kind of looking at it from the global. But, but honestly, I want us to see this personally. Because if all we understand is that globally, when we suffer, somehow Jesus is letting us down. And unfortunately, there has been a message proclaimed that follow Jesus and everything will go well in your life. And all I, every time I hear this kind of alluded to or this kind of, kind of teased at by, by preachers, all I can think of is John the Baptist. 
We don't ever preach this part. We, we preach John the Baptist like preaching and like baptizing Jesus, and then we just kind of ignore him. And I'm going to be honest with you, the first time I read through the Gospels for myself as a believer, I'm like, man, John the Baptist, he's awesome. And if you follow, like, like I've confessed before, like movie in your head, you kind of think, you know, John's going to be like Jesus' right-hand guy, right? He prepares the way for him. He's the first one to proclaim him. You're like, dude, John's going to be like the dude. It's going to be Jesus and John just like throwing it down. It's going to be awesome. And then a stripper gets John thrown in prison. And John's like freaking out. Like he's, he's hearing about Jesus and all this cool stuff. He gets some of his disciples together. He's like, look, go talk to Jesus because stuff is going bad for me. And this is not how I saw it panning out. Okay. Prison, not fun. I was called to a river ministry. And now I'm in here and Jesus is out there and he's not acting the way I think he should. So go check and make sure he's really God. And he goes. If you have your Bibles, this is Luke, I believe it's chapter 7. This isn't in my notes, but I just want us to see this. See if I'm, a, if I'm how well I know my Bible here. <laughs> yeah, verse, chapter 7 starts in verse 18. The disciples come to him. Let's, let's actually jump in at verse 20. And when the men, these are the, John's disciples, when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In other words, like, look, Jesus, I thought you were, you know, going to, we tight, we're cousins. Come on. Like I thought I'd be in with the group and you're out doing stuff. And should I just look for somebody? What is I wrong? And in that hour, this verse 21, in that hour, he being Jesus healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he said to them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the dead are raised up. And the poor have the good news preached to them. Catch this, verse 23. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, Why I wanted to read you that verse, Jesus is quoting from Isaiah. He stopped quoting early because here's what the rest of the verse says. He said that the the poor have the gospel, the good news preached to them, and the prisoners are set free. He cut it off. John would have known that. In other words, what Jesus is saying is, look, John, yes, I know you're in prison. Yes, I know you're there. Yes, I know it's not just. Yes, I see. And yes, I'm leaving you there. No one ever preaches this. Follow Jesus. It might end badly. Like this just doesn't get talked about. Like this isn't attractive. But when we see God, when we see Christ as supreme, we understand that his victory, come on, is the victory that's secure even when mine is not. Because what have we said every week since we started this message? It's all about Jesus. It is all about him. And here Jesus is saying, don't be offended. Blessed is he who's not offended because I don't act the way you think I should. Let's not forget who's in the driver's seat here, John. I know where you are. I am who I am. And yes, I'm leaving you there. God is supreme. It is all about Jesus. Everybody say, it's all about Jesus. So here then, Paul, he shows us this globally, that Jesus is supreme. Globally. And then I love how this this moves here. He then moves and he says, okay, I showed you personally. 
that he's supreme in your life, that he's the one giving you this spiritual transformation, that he's the one working this. We saw it in Acts that he's the one that unlocked your heart. He's the one that saved you. You did not save yourself. He saved you. He is now the one transforming you. Globally, he shows us that he is ruling and reigning, that he's above everything. So personally, globally, and then he, he keeps moving on here and he shows, us, shows it to us here ecclesiastically. Ecclesiastically just means as it pertains to the church. So if you want to if you want to go back to Ephesians Ephesians chapter 1 verse 22 we'll pick it up again. It says and he put all things that's God the Father put all things under his that is Jesus's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. So I want you to catch this. We saw before that Jesus is seated but now we're seeing another perspective. It says all things are under his feet. Now last night, a bunch of the guys from Sozo, we got together and we went and watched the UFC fight. Because that's what we like to do. People are like, you going to start a men's ministry? Yeah, we're going to go watch people beat each other up. <laughs> you don't have to like it. That's okay. If it weirds you out, it's all right. We'll do other stuff too. But we enjoy going and eating 70 wings and watching fights. Four dudes, 70 wings. It was great. And... uh Whatever, doesn't matter. We ate a lot of wings, okay? So, so we, we go there. And here's the funny thing. There was one fight where, where it went to decision, right? And it's always kind of controversial when it goes to decision because so-and-so thinks this person should have won and so-and-so thinks this one. But I can tell you something. Uh, in a fight, if you beat the guy so bad that you can stand on him, you won. Okay? Like, there's no arguing that. There's no, I don't really think that was fair. If you stand on the other dude, you've beat him enough, okay? If you can physically stand up on him, that's how fully... Paul here is telling us that Jesus reigns supreme over everything, all right? Jesus is able to stand on those things that he has defeated. But then it says, so he stands on it. He stands on everything. But then Paul tells us that not only is he seated in heavenly places, but that he's been given the position as the head of the church. Now, this is exciting because that means this. That means that the the control center, the the, the command post, the the order-giving entity in the church is not man, it's Jesus, So that in the church, it's not about what we want. Come on, somebody. This also doesn't help build a church. It's not about what we want when it comes to numbers I'm talking about. It's not about what we want. It's not about what we like. It's about him. We, we, We talk a lot about this in our leadership meetings. The last thing we want to do as a church is come up with a good idea and then beg God to bless it. Can I tell you, Easter at Shadle was not a good idea we cooked up. Well, I think we'll do that. I hope God comes through. <laughs> Maybe. But rather it was in much prayer and saying, God, we want to celebrate your faithfulness. We want to celebrate all you've done in this year that we've been a church. You've been so faithful. We've opened up this. He gave us this building. He opened up the doors for us to open a, a north venue that's reaching new people that never would be able to come here. We, he's been so faithful. Look, we are not smart enough to be doing what we're doing, okay? Let's just be real. And anybody who tells you they are is lying. God has to be the one building his church because the scripture here tells us he's the head. He's the head. Now, here's the cool thing that I want us to kind of get. It says that Jesus is supreme over everything, all right? He's supreme. He's the biggest. He's the best. He's the point. He's what it's all about. He's over everything. He's seated, ruling and reigning over everything. 
Then it tells us that he's the head of the church and everything's under his feet. But then he tells us this, that the head of the church, which is his body, which tells us this amazing thing, that we are most certainly under him, but the relationship that we have under his authority as his body is a different relationship than those things that are under his feet. This is important to me for us to understand because when we talk about the supremacy of Christ, we can kind of get this mindset that we're under his feet. And we're not. We're under his head. We're under his headship. We're under his his authority, most certainly. His command, most definitely. His grace, most amazingly. That he has brought us, as it said earlier in Ephesians, that we are in him that we're in his body and that the, author- that the relationship as it relates to his authority is different for us. Because we have relationship with him. We've been brought into communion and fellowship with him. That this, this is why though, please hear me, this is why unity in a church is so important. Because that relationship as him as head is not just him as head globally. It's not him as head personally. It's him as the head of the church. And again, being somebody who for 12 years worked with young people, I heard this a lot. Hey man, you know, with my, my faith, it's just all about me and Jesus and that's all I need. That sounds great and that's very college age of you, but it's not in the Bible. Well, you know, I just kind of get together with some people in my house and we just kind of like, we got a bongo and we just kind of sing happy Jesus songs, whatever. That's not in the scriptures. Well, the church is just, you know, church just means the called out ones. And so we just kind of get together. We meet in the park and we bang on our drums and, you know, just have a Jesus circle. And that's what it's all about. Then how come there's books of, in here, whole books that Jesus gave to Paul to write to pastors to tell them how to structure the church? Okay, we believe in the local church. Look at the board back there, who we are. We are passionate about the local church. Because it is in our relationship with his body that we come under his headship, not under his footship. <laughs> I love it when I get to make up words. We, we, it's important for, for me that we understand this as a church. That we're not under his boot. But that when we join with his body, when we are in relationship and communion and fellowship with one another, that we're in a different relationship with his supremacy than when we're outside of fellowship, than when we're outside, when we're disconnected. So we want to land this here. And I don't want us to just, like I said, I don't want us to just get this in some global, out there, away from us kind of way. I want us to really grab a hold of this personally. So I want to ask us three questions. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. Everybody to stand to your feet. Three quick, simple questions. Have you tried to subvert the supremacy of Christ in your life? Has, have there been places in your life where you've said, you know what, I think really I, I can be supreme in this area. I can take control. I can take authority. I can take the reins. I want to be what it's all about. Next question is, if you answered yes to the first one, do you need to repent? Is there repentance that's needed in your life to say, you know what, God, it's, it's not all about me. 
It's not all about what I want. It's not all about what I can get. It's not all about what I desire in my way. But you know what? You're supreme and I'm not. Is there a need to come under his headship? Is there a need to come under his authority? Do you need to repent for being disappointed and offended by Jesus? I don't want that to sound harsh. Please hear me. We, struggling, suffering is not something that I want to make light of or make seem like it's not a big deal. But at the same time, Scripture, Jesus tells us we shouldn't be offended when he doesn't perform the way we think he should. Can I tell you... I, For me personally, this week has been a lot about Jesus tweaking some things in my life. Putting his hands pretty significantly on some pretty major areas of my heart. And here's the danger. We can say, well, yeah, it's just my human weakness that sees Jesus as failing me. I'm going to be as real with you as God's been with me this week. It's not weakness, it's sin. Weakness can be overlooked. Sin needs to be repented of. If you've been offended by Jesus not performing the way that you wanted him to, the need is not for strengthening. The need is for repentance. And then lastly, would you ask God to show you in a new way, in a personal way, his supremacy today? Because I want us to be able to rejoice like Paul does here. Paul is so filled with joy, so filled with with excitement, at the supremacy of Christ, that even though he's going through great personal struggle and suffering, he's able to find joy. Find joy because he knows that, you know what, even in my struggle, God's purposes are still being worked out. Namely, my transformation, come on, and his glorification. So we're going to take some time and enter back into worship. We take communion every week as 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 a people. We feel it's important to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ every time we come together. Jesus gave us this amazing tool to remember that, which is communion. We take by the method known as antiquation, simply ripping off a piece of bread, dipping it in the cup, and taking. We leave that to you as you feel led in the midst of this time of worship here. The only requirement for you to take communion is for you to have been redeemed by Christ, come on, to have a relationship with him and to be walking with him. You don't have to have gone through a class or be a part of a particular denomination because we're not. I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to speak to us. And I encourage you to respond to him, to allow him to touch your heart, to change your heart, to, to work in you as only he can. Holy Spirit, we thank you. We thank you that even when we feel like you're not seeing, that even when we feel like you're missing things that are important, even when we feel like somehow you are are not meeting the expectations that we have, thank you that you truly are supreme. And God, if there's areas in our heart, if there's hardness in our heart, if there's there's unbelief in our life, if there's a, a fence that we're carrying toward you, God, we ask that you would show us that and give us the gift of repentance. That you would give us the ability 
to be transformed in the way that we think. That we might more accurately see you. God, would you show us yourself more fully today as supreme, as most, as over, as above, as beyond, as in control. That we would not see the events of our life and the events of the world from some worldly, personal perspective, but that we would see them the way that they are, you ruling, you reigning. And open up our eyes, open up our hearts. Let us see you more fully. Let us see you more truly. Have your way. Jesus' name. Greetings. This is Mark Blair. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. I want to share a simple way for you to help make Easter 2013 possible here at Sozo Church. Simply visit our website, sozospokane.org, click Give, and there you can make a donation via PayPal. We want to thank you for your generosity, and we look forward to sharing the great testimony of God's continued faithfulness as we boldly proclaim His Word.